Hey everyone, this is Rob and Jay from the Classic Gaming Podcast. We uh, play and talk about old school video games on our podcast. I know you probably couldn't have guessed that from the name of it, but uh, as for me, I tend to prefer the old, the good old point-and-click adventure game genre. I also like strategy games. I play a lot of a wide variety of stuff. Uh, uh, as for Jay? Yeah, I'm really partial to RPGs and RTSs, so things like Final Fantasy Tactics and Chrono Trigger to that of StarCraft or Age of Empires. Um, generally at the podcast, we try to stay on topic, but we usually end up going off on super, super far tangents. Give us a listen over at the HP Video Game Podcast Network. You can also find us at ClassicGamingPodcast.com, and uh, we hope you check us out. Welcome to the Life and Times of Video Games, a documentary podcast about video games and the video game industry, as they were in the past and how they came to be the way they are today. My name is Richard Moss, and this is episode 25, Pimps at Sea. When they, when they find out about this one, it's gonna, everyone's going to forget about Halo. So when they make a movie out of this, yeah, we, 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 we got people all we have, we have toy figures like lined up. You may not have even noticed this year when April 1st passed by with barely a whimper. There were only a few April Fool's Day pranks and jokes, gags, and none were at the scale of what you'd normally see. I saw one person joke that April Fool's Day is cancelled. The world right now is far weirder and scarier than any pranks or jokes could possibly live up to, so why even bother? And I'm sure many of you will be thinking good riddance to that. Many of the most successful online pranks in recent years have been awfully mean-spirited. And there's frankly enough meanness on the internet on the other 364 days a year that we don't need a special day for it. But there was a time, in what seems now so long ago, when April Fool's Day was about having fun. Or at least in the video game industry's corner of the world. It was just about jokes and whimsy and satire, and trying to make people laugh. Case in point, our story today. A game, or more specifically, a fake game, called Pimps at Sea. Hi, I'm Matt Sell, and from 1995 to 2003, I was a community guy and other things at Bungie. We'll come back to Matt shortly. First, a quick history lesson. Bungie Software had built its reputation on making high-quality computer games, first just for the Mac, then both for Mac and Windows, with deep storylines, advanced 3D technology, and a smattering of slightly twisted humour. Bungie's Marathon and Myth franchises were widely recognised as being among the best in their respective genres, those being first-person shooters and real-time strategy and tactics. And in June 2000, after a decade of independence, they'd been acquired by Microsoft to make games for the Xbox, and specifically to make Halo, their next game, an Xbox exclusive. Many Bungie fans cried out like it was the end of days, a travesty of apocalyptic proportions that would surely ruin their favourite game studio. Big evil Microsoft couldn't be trusted not to dismantle everything that made Bungie special. In reality, Bungie and Microsoft's union had plenty of teething pains, but the management team at Bungie went to great lengths to protect their people from interference during the transition. And Microsoft had some of its own people doing their best to create a buffer between the two companies. 
And so within Bungie, it was very much business as usual, which meant a lot of jokes and a fair amount of infantile humor. Our story here begins in March of 2001, around eight months before the Xbox launched with Halo as its tentpole title, when Matt Sell was part of a team at Bungie tasked with being the bridge between Bungie and the denizens of the internet. Which, besides its serious functions, also meant having a laugh or sharing jokes with their fan community wherever and whenever possible. Hence this pimps at sea thing. We, we were trying to do an April Fool's joke. And I'd had the pimps at sea idea a couple years previous. When Bungie was still in Chicago, I was walking through the city uh, across the, the bridge over the Chicago River on State Street. And I happened to glance down and there are these uh, businesses, like these boat charter things that you can get on and, and go for a ride on the Chicago River. And uh, there were these two couples that were getting on one of these boats. And uh, they, they were all dressed up to the nines. I mean, they were, they were just very gaudy. And the men in particular had these incredibly colorful uh, suits. And I looked down and it just, the phrase flashed into my head, pimps at sea. And I didn't know what to do with it, but I thought it was, it was hilarious. And so the next day when I went into work, I was telling everyone, hey, I had this idea yesterday, pimps at sea, what do you think? And everyone just kind of stared at me like I was nuts. But, um, you know, a couple of years later when we were looking for an April Fool's joke, I remember we were sitting around the cafeteria at Microsoft, uh, sort of banging ideas back and forth. And I, I, I remember saying, well, we could do pimps at sea. We could announce that we're doing pimps at sea as an actual game. And uh, I remember Max Hoberman, who was the head of the what was called the online team at that point. You know, he was like, yes, that is the one. That's where we're going. <laughs> and so uh, that's how that that got started. That, that was the, the moment when we decided to do it. User interface and web page designer Dave Candland was there, too. And he filled me in on a bit more of the detail of the beginnings of Pimps at Sea. You know, and it was just a germ of the idea. And he goes, it's like pimps but they're at sea you know and i said does any pimping happen here and he goes no 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 it's just about the pimp culture you know the, you know the, the attire and and uh you know talk and all that kind of stuff so we just kind of chuckled about that and at the time we had a webcam up those are kind of big back then in the late 90s early 2000s and we would place various objects in front of it. And we were getting close to April 1st. And we decided, hey, you know what? Let's let's just print out a script that, you know, just a cover page on a pile of paper, put a staple in the upper left-hand corner and set it in front of the webcam. And it'll a infancy script, something like that. And we just set it out in front of the webcam and just to see what would happen. And uh, there was a little bit of traffic, a little bit of reaction from the fans from that, but not much. Not as much as we thought it warranted. <laughs> and so uh, when, uh, when like April 1st came around, we said, you know, let's, let's go ahead and play this up. So the three of them, Matt Sell, Max Hoberman, and Dave Candeland, plus another Bungie employee called Peter Marks, they all got to talking. Just in terms of like we we said okay well what are we going to do well we'll we'll have to have a web page to announce this well Dave was our web page designer guy and so he could be counted on to put that together and 
fake some screenshots and and do all that sort of stuff. And uh, we had this idea to shoot a video, like a sort of behind the scenes development video. People got really into the spirit of that, but it was a very improvisational thing. Uh, in that, I, you know, I walked into a room with a camera and said, "Okay, we're making pimps at sea." You know, talking to an artist or a level designer or, or a programmer, whoever it was, and just getting them to riff on the idea of, you know, coding or level designing or whatever it was, basically talking about their real jobs, but with a, a joke product. And people really got into the spirit of that. Yeah, I was watching that <laughs> video yesterday, and I love how committed everyone was. <laughs> For those of you who aren't me, here are a couple of short clips from it. I had one at the beginning, and I'll mix in more bits as the story progresses. Yeah. I mean, why can't we have, you know, I mean, or, or at least some kind of allusion to to pirate war, you know, like the the, the sire. Well, the thing about it is, you know, it's really different, and uh, we're used to doing mostly sci-fi and fantasy type characters after. You know, so, you know, it's a chance to, like, try and combine some sort of historical costume and characters with, you know, an idea that's, you know, pretty, pretty innovative, really, when you think about it. You know, and it kind of has a little bit of a social satire to it or social commentary, you know, in a way, don't you think? So, so that was just like entirely improvised chatter. You guys just front up in the room and say, talk about the game. Pretty much. I, I mean, I think the only thing that had any degree of uh, <laughs> preparation is, is probably the wrong word, but uh, effort uh, before it got on camera was the group of people who were sitting in the or standing in the recording booth singing the quote-unquote theme song, uh, which, of course, we ripped the melody from uh, Gilligan's Island. And I think what's important about the, to, to bring the reality to Pemps at Sea is to really think about the indigenous uh, sea shanties that were popular uh, throughout all the centuries of uh, pirate lore. Uh, it, it, I think that was the only thing where anyone had to sort of prepare ahead of time. Uh, and you know, we just, I mean, it was a very quick thing. Like, okay, who wants to be singing the song in the vocal booth? Okay. Get in there. And, uh, then we, we shot it and then it was done. Okay. But we need to take that again. Okay. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, Marty, we had a small spike in the middle of, in the middle of that just to right. lay off a little bit. Okay. So Paul, you go out there. <laughs> go. Just sit right down and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a pimping trip that started from the seas I put aboard this pimping ship. Aboard this pimping ship. That was perfect. Thank you. Thanks. After we shot all this stuff, we had a lot of, uh, I wouldn't call it B-roll, but there were outtakes, <laughs> certainly, yeah. uh, to, to sort of sift through all of the stuff, find the stuff that we could use. And then uh, edit it all together into a video that we could put up. And I think the the biggest problem was that April Fool's Day was on a Sunday that year. So Max and I were actually in the office <laughs> on Sunday, 
like uploading this video to our website. And uh, I think it was mirrored on a couple of fan sites and just the process of getting that video up there and getting the page on the website and everything. That was, uh, it was an enormous, uh, <laughs> we went to great lengths for a silly joke. A hundred megabytes probably doesn't sound like much to you today. It is just a small fraction of the size of your typical TV show on Netflix or an HD video on YouTube. And if you play any video games online, then you probably use way more data than that every single time you play. But in 2001, 100 megabytes was a lot. Most people were still on dial-up connections, which meant it might take several hours at best to download the file, more likely a day or two. While even people on cable or ADSL might have been using a large percentage of their monthly download allowance, and they would have waited perhaps an hour or more before they could watch the video. I don't know. Hopefully it wasn't totally wasted. Hopefully they got a laugh or two out of it. That said, though, it was easy to be tempted into downloading this mysterious behind-the-scenes development footage of the Pimps at Sea development team, especially with that enticing game description. I mean, who wouldn't want to know more about a game that is announced as thus? Lace up your platform shoes and pick up your diamond-studded whoop-ass cane. Here comes a rival pimp bent on hijacking your hose. Welcome to the world of Pimps at Sea, where you can hoist the jolliest of rogers and set sail for a different kind of booty. Matt did a lot of the writing, well, all the writing, basically. He wrote up kind of a big product one sheet, and uh, I was tasked with coming up with things like box art, logo, uh, and a few screenshots. So I, I worked with what I had. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of time to spend on this, you know. Um, so I found this product. Back then, it was called Poser, which basically had these character models. Of course, they didn't have, like, pimp outfits. And so I had to uh, kind of add those in. Just a lot of Photoshopping. But, uh, yeah, the models are basically straight out of Poser with, with uh, basically pimped up uh, outfits. I, I, I don't know if you remember the text, but I've got it in front of me here. There's a, okay. It's a trailblazing combination of action and real-time strategies set in a lush, fully 3D world. You'll sail from port to port, <laughs> making mad loot with all the freedom and realism offered by the most complex economic simulation ever to appear in a game. <laughs> Groundbreaking AI means that women, johns, and cops think and act with unmatched depth and complexity. And you'll need to master your sweet-talking and strong-arming skills to keep your game tight. And it just <laughs> goes on like that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I said, yeah, he just had a really bright, you know, the humor and wit and believability and, you know, kind of the, uh, the industry speak. Um just to make it like almost satirical it, it could be an actual game i mean that's the disturbing thing <laughs> like it really it, it could be done we we could have put something together after the break we'll hear more about this silly fake game and how it kind of sort of did turn into an actual game 
Hi, I'm Justin. And I'm Josh. And we host the Pretty OK Gamers Podcast. Think of our show as water cooler conversations with a little less gossip and a little more geeking out. My Halo, I think, is Legend of Zelda. What? No way. No. Who are you again? I'm Justin, and we're we're (laughs) rather okay at playing pretty good games. No, no. Every week, we talk about games and their history, and even ask ridiculous questions like, are open world games even good? So come join us every Sunday on the HP Gaming Podcast Network. See you there. See ya. If you enjoy listening to the Life and Times of Video Games, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or somewhere. Just head to ratethispodcast.com slash LTVG and follow the link and the instructions for your app of choice. That's ratethispodcast.com slash LTVG. All right, let's get back to the show. When we left off, Matt Sell and Dave Candland had just explained how the original Pimps at Sea joke was made. Now we turn more to its impact. I think a good April Fool's joke should be recognized as such by about 95% of people. But there's going to be that one guy in the 20s who, who doesn't get it, who doesn't realize it's a joke, and gets really upset. And that... Uh, the potential for that is, I, I think, the, the 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 real ingredient for something uh, delightful. Uh, and uh, I think Pimps at Sea had that same sort of uh, ridiculous quality where most people would understand that it was a joke, but there would be one person who didn't, and that guy would get really upset. <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we were always looking for April Fool's jokes that, they weren't mean necessarily, but they, they just rode that line of, of plausibility. Most people did indeed understand that Pimps at Sea was a joke, and many of them got into the playful spirit of the gag. The community took it in, in very good stride. I think they l- liked the fact that it was, it, it was a joke that showed that Bungie hadn't really softened its edge, you know, that we were still willing to to make jokes that were silly, but also kind of uh, not what you would expect from a Microsoft-owned <laughs> studio. So people really got into it, and there was a fan site that was set up. Uh, people did, like, fan art, uh, different logo treatments and things like that. It was really fun to see that, to see that response. But that was delightful. But as Matt alluded to before, there's always that one guy who doesn't get it's a joke. And... Well, I won't spoil the story here. At the time, Bungie had a Hollywood agent that was, I, I mean, I think it was Microsoft's agent, but it was, this was the guy who was uh, pitching Halo to the big movie studios and trying to get someone to bite on a Halo movie. And he called the next week. And I remember he was talking to Joe Staten. Joe Staten was on the other side of the room and, uh, he was like, so uh, I just got off the phone with this, this guy. I forget what his name was, but he's like, uh, so is this Pimps at Sea thing? Is that is that really going to happen? Because I've got a meeting with the Wayans brothers this afternoon. I could pitch them on it. <laughs> and Joe was like, you know, it's as real as we want it to be. But the the, the producer, the agent, I guess, uh, sort of decided that he wasn't going to uh, try to push it on the Wands Brothers if it didn't have an actual big budget video game uh, in the pipeline to back it up, Uh, which is too bad. (laughs) 
because it would have been uh, just delightfully ridiculous if if Hollywood had uh, picked up on that. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one of the stranger reactions. Was you know just the the Hollywood guy calling us up and taking it totally seriously and saying, "Hey, do you want me to pitch this?" Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the kind of thing that uh, you you see in a parody movie about Hollywood. Exactly. The yes. the big name director who's on cocaine will pitch it to his team. <laughs> that is that is a very apt comparison. Yeah, it was a very it was a very strange moment. That's for sure. I guess the 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 only real negative response that we had came from within Microsoft, in that there were people and i don't want to name names because people might their feelings might get hurt (laughs) but um there were people within microsoft and semi-close to bungie who were they, they weren't offended but they were worried that someone else might be offended and they actually took down the web page like 12 hours after max and i had stayed at the office until like eight o'clock on a Sunday night or whatever, making sure that this webpage and this video got up. Uh, (laughs) Someone came in the next morning and just pulled it right offline. And uh, that was an interesting moment because there was uh, a confrontation between uh, Alex Ropian, who was the head of the studio and uh, this other person whom I won't name. uh, But I, I walked past it. I didn't. I didn't stick around for all of it, but I, I do remember catching Alex in the act of uh, chewing out this guy for pulling our April Fool's website offline uh, without telling us. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it, it it went back online eventually, I think, and uh, everything got smoothed over. But it was a real interesting example of someone at Microsoft trying to. Uh, sort of proactively or, or uh, preemptively sand those edges off of Bungie and Bungie fighting back really passionately. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of a neat thing, frankly, uh, to to have Alex, you know, standing up for us uh, and for the studio to you know someone who wasn't necessarily familiar with our sense of humor, uh, but. That was, uh, you know, like I said, that got smoothed over. And I think ultimately, uh, w- whatever uh, doubts Microsoft ha- may have had about it going forward must have been allayed because Bungie kept development <laughs> 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 updates on Games at Sea. The folks at Bungie were never shy about poking fun at themselves. So in 2002, they carried on the Pimps at Sea gag with a fake development update. They mocked up some concept art and a couple of rough renders of the Turn Them Out system, which allows players to pimp characters from other games. Originally, I, I suggested that we, uh, the victim of the Turn Them Out technology, would should be some other, like much more famous, recognizable uh, video game character, you know, a Mario or a Sonic or something. And we thought, oh well, we can't do that because then we'll get in trouble. Someone will sue us or something. And I thought, well, we could do it with another Microsoft game. And so I suggested um, the the protagonist of Azeric, which was one of those uh, first, uh, the, the 
generation like launch titles of of the Xbox that nobody remembers for good reason. And then, uh, well, we we thought, well, then we're going to hurt somebody's feelings here, and then we're going to hear about it. So we ended up uh, pimping out one of the grunts <laughs> from Halo. <laughs> they were a bottomless well of comedy fodder anyway. So, so why not add one more thing to laugh about? I'll have a link to this image in the show notes, but to help you visualize it, imagine a kind of generic-looking video game monster baddie. Except they are inexplicably wearing a bright pink wig and tube top with a red leather purse and a leopard skin skirt over the top of their body armor. When 2003 came up, the team then decided to announce Pimps at Sea would be an Xbox exclusive. And Dave Candlin thought it'd be fun to mock up a custom Pimps at Sea controller and headset to go with that. Yeah, I think the the pimp wheel was a, a basically a screenshot from the um, from this mech game that came with its own controller, and we put just kind of slapped a uh, little pimp cane uh, chopper and a uh, a captain's wheel on the map and called it good. Matt Sell left Bungie right around the time this happened, but he remembers some more details about the preparations. Well, I remember we had that. Uh, oh. I want to say the name of the game was Steel Battalion, but that was the one, the Xbox game that came with its own like huge controller. It came in this huge box and it had like this, the inner workings of this mech. And, you know, Dave's concept was just to take that, this enormous controller, but give it like, you know, the, the pimp stick and this, the, the ship's wheel and all of the other ridiculous accoutrements. And that was, that was just delightful. That, that warmed the cockles of my heart. Uh, <laughs> Dave Candlin's sense of humor uh, is is was a perfect fit for Bungie, and so when we got to doing stuff like Pimpsons, it was a delight to work with him because he kept adding so many wonderful visual things to these uh, these concepts that otherwise just would have been words on a page. 2004 brought news of a big Pimpin' Bling Bling special edition, which was of course to be made out of gold. Then fast forward to 2007, and Bungie finally announced the Pimps at Sea movie was coming. With a poster of a parrot resting on a pimp cane, with a pirate hook for a head. And the text read, Haters Walk the Blank, 2008, Pimps at Sea. I'll be willing to bet... Lorraine McLeese did that. She was kind of the artist at that point that would just mostly do a lot of the graphic design for the studio. And just to be super clear, in case you weren't sure, given the story about the Hollywood agent familiar, this too was a joke. As was Pimpsville in 2011, a fake Facebook game that took its name from the then-popular Zynga game Farmville. Bungie president Pete Parsons even got involved on that one with a tongue-in-cheek press release about the bold new free-to-play business model they'd be embracing <laughs> with the game. Wow. Gosh, I've got to go back and look up some of the history of uh, what happened with Pimps at Sea after I left because, I, I mean, I didn't follow it obsessively. Obviously, I, I would hear about things, but I didn't, I didn't scrapbook it or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I should probably take a look back and see See what has happened, all those in all those intervening years. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it 
it, I think it's kind of fascinating that uh, one of the things uh, some people probably know and others might not is that uh, certain affinities first game, Age of Booty, was a, a more or less deliberate attempt by Max Overman to say, what would happen if we turned Pimps at Sea into a real game? Now, I was hoping to get Max on to tell us all about it himself, but he's been too busy running his company amidst the chaos of the coronavirus pandemic, and he couldn't find time to do a call. He was, however, kind enough to write a few things for me to share here about Pimps at Sea's journey to becoming the very much real cult classic Xbox game, Age of Booty. It all goes back to his wife, he told me. One day when she wanted to go to the mall, she insisted that Max come along too. But Max hates the mall. So he brought a friend from Bungie with him, a programmer by the name of Stefan Sinclair. And the pair spent most of that trip brainstorming how an actual Pimps at Sea game might work. Max said he wrote down their thoughts afterwards. He filed it away and forgot it. Until a few years later, around 2007 or so, when his new company, Certain Affinity, had just finished their first project and they needed a new game to prototype. His thoughts naturally turned to that Pimps at Sea design document, and away they went. Though, as is the nature of game development, the final product moved quite some way from that original vision. It had swashbuckling pirates rather than marauding pimps, for one thing. And they had also shifted from an initial idea that was turn-based, similar to the famous board game Settlers of Catan, to real-time. All the same, though, it was a real game, directly inspired by Matt Sell's silly idea from nearly a decade earlier. And I think that is pretty special. Do, do you have any theories or ideas on what it is that makes Pimps at Sea resonate with people? Like, why this fake game of all the other fake games that and made-up crap that people have done? I don't know if I have any theories. I, I, I think it's one of those things where the the concept is embedded in the title so firmly that like when you when you say it even though you don't have an idea of what the game might actually be you get these notions these two very conflicting notions of the sort of you know okay the you know, the 70s the the pimp with the the zoot suit and the giant purple hat with the leopard print band and the big stick with the jewel on the top and and you conflate that or, or, or sort of commingle that with the imagery that you have of, you know, ancient pirate ships and, and uh, you know, the Jolly Roger and the, uh, the walking the plank and all of that, uh, you know, 18th century sort of seamanship. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's strangely effective as a title. It's short, it's punchy. And it says a lot in just three words. And it just, it, it sets your imagination off, I think, in a way that maybe other things don't. And it, it's, again, it rides that line between utter ridiculousness and strangely plausible. <laughs> you know, like you can, if you think about it for a while, you think, yeah, someone could make this. You know, this, this could turn mm -hmm. into a game if, if they really wanted to. And I, I think there's something 
uh, appealing about that. There's something intriguing about a, a, a joke that you're not a hundred percent sure is a joke. <laughs> that's, that's the best description I could think of for it. Matt thinks that Pimps at Sea may have also helped to show longtime Bungie fans that the inmates still ran the asylum. We, we hadn't been like cowed or, or, um, uh, censored by Microsoft. You know, we were still like willing to think weird things and, and, and make those ridiculous jokes. All that said, though, it's important to remember that Pimps at Sea had no ulterior motive behind it. It was about having fun and making people laugh. It wasn't a marketing gimmick or a sales tactic. It was silly for the sake of being silly. And I think it's a shame that we don't get a lot of that these days. Even though we live in a world where we probably need this kind of harmless fun more than ever. It's sad too that while Pimps at Sea has a legacy in the work of companies like Certain Affinity, the joke itself, in its many iterations, is kind of hard to come by these days. I mean, you could find it if you go to the archive, you know, the Wayback Machine. But it's a bit of a deal in haystack kind of thing. I went looking for it a while back and it was a little rough. But um, yeah, it'd be nice to see somebody bear it somewhere. Because I think something like that is, uh, it's one of those things you kind of hate to see it go. Uh, especially this, uh, you know, April 1st, um, with everybody kind of bunkered in with COVID-19, uh, social distancing, I really didn't see much in the way of April Fool's, you know, gags and stuff like that. You know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people on Twitter and other social media, I see they kind of, a lot of them will kind of bag on April 1st and say, I'm going off the internet today because... You know, I you know, hate all the, you know, gags that people do and, the, you know, stuff like that. And I don't know. I look forward to it. I enjoy it. I Not so much like the mean pranks where you like and get people believing, but, you know, stuff like this where it's like um, just a, a fun thing that that is just a way to humor people. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's kind of sad that this April we did not see much of that online. And I don't know if that's because some people are just working out of their homes and, or, or if, uh, you know, the, the concept of April 1st uh, is kind of something people have soured to on the Internet. But um, whatever the case, um, I don't recall seeing much of that this year. And uh, it's a little sad, but uh, I'd love to see somebody else uh, do something along these lines. Uh- yeah, I, I also miss the days of the the really good-humoured, fun April Fool's pranks mm-hmm. that, that people were doing. It, like, it feels like there was this period in the early 2000s where it was really in vogue with games and tech mm-hmm. companies, and there, were, there was a lot of them doing fun stuff, and then maybe yep. people started to go a bit too far. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably... One of the things that kind of soured people was when, yeah, when people, when you'd see stuff go too far or be not funny, just like kind of almost mean in the, uh, in the life that they would say, you know, and it's like, well, that's not, there's no humor in that. That's just telling a lie to 
troll somebody. And, you know, trolling is not the fun part of April Fool's. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the gags. Like a, a whimsical fake action and strategy game about some pimps who are at sea and their culture and clothes and, and talk and the like, where pimping and poop decks collide. And Hollywood agents think that maybe you're not just making it up. The Life and Times of Video Games is written and produced and everything else by me, Richard Moss. This was the final episode of Season 3. I'll have some interview and soundbite type stuff to share over the next several weeks or so, and I do have big ideas for the future of this thing, but I don't expect to have anything to show regarding Season 4 until late May or June. In the meantime, with millions of people losing their jobs and livelihoods right now, I'm somewhat reticent to ask for money. But if you enjoy the show and you do have the capacity to support me financially so that I can make more of these games history documentaries and maybe start to transition into doing it as my job, you can do so in a few different ways. You, you can donate via PayPal on paypal.me slash mossrc or subscribe on Patreon via patreon.com slash life and times of video games where you pay anything upwards of a dollar a month and depending on your reward tier you'll get various uh, bonus stuff as a thank you that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash life and times of video games one word life and times of video games or you can even hire me to do writing or editing or consulting work for you to commission me to make an episode of the show on a topic of your choosing or to lend my expertise on some other project that's somehow related to the kind of work I do or, or my knowledge about game design and game history. Send me a message on richard at lifeandtimes.games if you've got something of the sort, and we'll take it from there. Now before I go, I'd like to make my usual shout-out to my producer-level Patreon supporters, Wade Trugaskis, Vivek Mohan, Seth Robinson, Simon Moss, and Eric Zocker. And also to thank everyone else who has listened to or shared the show this season and seasons past, or left a review somewhere, or emailed me with ideas and encouragement, as I've made slow gains on this big, slow push towards doing this thing as my job. Every little thing helps, whether it's to grow the show or to keep me going. So thank you. Now, as always, you can find past episodes, show notes, and everything else at the website lifeandtimes.games. Until next time, my name is Richard Moss. This was the Life and Times of Video Games. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And take care of yourselves and each other. And stay safe. I'll see ya. That was perfect. Thank you. Hi, I'm Chris Penwell from ActiveQuest. And I'm Joseph Yaden. We are a video game podcast that takes a deep dive into the news, covering the latest gaming trends and stories pertaining to the industry. We also do our best to cover the most recent games and like to have an ongoing discussion with the audience. You can contact us on Twitter at ActiveQuestShow or via email at ActiveQuestPodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. You can also find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Play. 
We appreciate you listening, everyone. And now, onto the show. <laughs> 